Hi, this is Ed Rosenthal, and you're listening to Cure to Consumption. Yeah, but awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll jump right into it. So to another episode of Cure to Consumption, and I am your host, Lance Lambert. Uh, but sitting here with a dear friend, and I, I can't exactly think back to when we first met, but I know it's been more than a minute, as the kids say, but here with Ed Rosenthal, the legend, even as a friend, I still reference him as the legend when it comes to growing, because I have to admit that I've got more than one of your books and uh, reference them often. So welcome. It's good to have you. Thank man. you for having me. It's great. So we were talking a little bit earlier. It's been interesting the last, we'll just call it a year and a half. Um, so you've been laying low because you were traveling the circuit I was just talking about. So I have to tell our listeners. Um, I guess now it was about a few years ago that we were in Barcelona together. Yeah, it's about six years ago, five, six years ago. Gosh, has it been that long? Yes. (laughs) Well, well, I changed my uh, course, and I, aside from doing research for writing and for uh, uh, private companies, but aside from doing that, I had two consulting jobs. Now I have one consulting job. And uh, that keeps me occupied a lot of the time. Yeah. But most of the time for the past year and a half, I was working on this book, Cannabis Growers Handbook, uh, along with uh, Dr. Rob Flannery, who's a uh, who has a doctor who has a PhD in uh, uh, plant uh, plant biology, and ha- and runs a grow. Uh, runs a large garden called Dr. Rob's Garden. Nice. And Angela Baca, who has been a journalist and researcher. Love Angela Baca. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. And she was project manager and also was involved in the writing and editing as well. And then we had all of these people from universities, uh, people who are known for their iconic gardens, for instance, Remo, and uh, people like that. And then... um, had uh, scientists. We we actually uh, had uh, some re- some research. Was there was a team that, of uh, researchers who uh, did some experiments for us. Nice. So it was a, it's really a different kind of book. And on the other hand, this book was written presuming that you know nothing about green plants. Oh wow! And so we start from the most basic. Uh, information and keep building on the information till at the end you're uh, at least in theory an expert grower. Well and it's too exciting not to jump into the book. I was going to save it to the end but I have to tell you I've been anticipating this because as friends you've been talking about this for the last few years. This is one you've been working on and, and besides Angela I've run into several of those people that I think they know our connection and are like oh yeah I'm working with Ed on the new book, which is awesome. I want to get in though to um, the first book, which is kind of cool, like where this all began. I think that's a story in itself. And maybe if we can kind of, I know that's going a little ways back. You've had a few books since then. <laughs> like I said, I have several of them. But, but what motivated you to take a pen to paper, as we say as writers, and start communicating this messaging? And when did that start? Um, 
at one time, Rolling Stone was a m much uh, more countercultural uh, journal than it is now. Yeah. And they had, when they first began, they had set different sections, each for a different city. And uh, uh, my future co-author wrote, wrote an article about his garden in the mag in uh, for uh, for the, it was called the New York Flyer. Oh, okay. And uh, and it was published. And at the same time, I was trying to get publicity for my company, which basically made gro uh, uh, like gorilla tents. Okay. Okay. So they said, would you, the two of you like to meet? And we said yes. And then we decided to write a book together. And we wrote a book together. And I promised him that, we that I would get it published and that we would get a certain minimum amount of money every month from that, for, from its sales. And that book was wildly successful. And we did, uh, neither of us has ever worked, ever since except at really high-paying companies, really high-paying consulting jobs or something. So that's how, uh, uh, so, uh, and we did, as I said, we wrote the book, and since we were so successful at this, and I had been successful at finding a publisher and getting it published, we decided to write another book, and that became uh, Marijuana Grower's Guide Deluxe Edition. And that, that was the last book that we wrote together, and after that we each wrote different books. Yeah. And it's, it goes so far back, and I like how you've actually gone into subsets within the category as well. You just had a, a book that was a little bit more focused on um, the different iterations that come out of Flower, right? Just a handful of years ago, talking about yeah. concentrates and such. Yeah. You know, because that's evolved, right? Yeah. I mean, that's something that up until... Well, well it start, that started out as... Um, uh, trash to stash, so uh, how people could use their trim leaves and yeah. fan leaves and things like that, basically to make water hash and yeah. cooking. And, and then came the first uh, uh, book of uh, 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 Beyond Buds of Beyond Buds, and that still I've got had that a one. lot of uh, it was mostly. Um, home, do yeah. it yourself. And but this new book, uh, the latest book, Beyond Bo Bud's Next Generation, certainly takes it up a notch. Yeah. And uh, there's so many new things coming out. I don't think that it can be done just as a book. I think it has to be done as something that's more um, more fluid, so that perhaps uh, perhaps it wouldn't be. A, a hard copy at all. Maybe you could print out a hard copy from it, but it would really be uh, something that's on the internet and that could be added to, deleted, and so on. Nice. There's so much information coming out. Yeah, because it's uh, one thing that I, re I, I often reference the industry as it being an evolution. I, I don't think so much a revolution because we're not coming back to where we started, but it's evolving into what it can be. And I think you put a really good you know, point on that, especially in your Beyond Buds, where you talk about these different iterations. People that consumed 
I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, so people that consume, let's say, back in the 90s when they were kids, yeah. or, or even the early 2000s. They said there was no, I mean, a, a guy just showed me last night at a networking event, liquid diamonds. I don't know how many people even know what diamonds are in this industry, let alone wax and right. shatter and crumble. It, it, right. it, it goes on, right? Right. So butter. I mean, there's just so many different formats for consumption. And, and also methods of manufacturing it. Yeah. yeah. That has a lot 100%. to do with what you get. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So. So kind of getting into, because the one thing that I love, and I'm right there with you, even though I travel a lot, both of us do, but you still grow. You, you still practice what you preach. And so what is it as far as, I call them the trendy triangle strains, and I don't mean that in a derogatory term, but you know, the trending of all these dessert cultivars, right? These, these you know, gelato and wedding cakes and ice cream cakes and yada yada. And, do you find yourself ever kind of getting sucked into some of these latest cultivars? Or are you more of a fan of the classics, the Acapulco Gold and Northern Lights and Swazi and? Uh, I think some of the, uh, some, for instance, Wedding Cake and some other varieties have some unique terpenes in them and unique yeah. recipes. And I think, uh, just think how many tens of thousands of varieties of roses there are. Oh my gosh, and People yes. have been breeding roses since bibl literally biblical times, mm -hmm. and yet some, there's somebody who wants to breed that other rose that's different than the other rose, yep. right? So, yeah. so there's always room for more, you know. Gotcha. So and what it's it fun to do because marijuana is a dioecious plant that has male and female mm -hmm. on separate uh, on separate plants, so it's easy to separate the sexes and then just introduce the male that you want to the female. On the other hand, most plants, especially most vegetables, have either a stamen or a stigma, mm -hmm. either the male or, or uh, on, in, on the same flower yep. or sometimes on the same plant, different flowers on the same plant. So it would be very hard to separate those, it would be harder to separate them. So, so cannabis makes it easy for people to breathe it. Yeah, yeah, that happened to me. I got some um, really nice genetics from friends just a handful of years ago, and it's a Mendo cross with a pre-98 Bubba. And um, I'm not a fan of, fem nothing against, I'm just not a fan of feminized or autos. And uh, so these are all natural, and, and three out of four were female. Fourth was male. <laughs> there you go. And I wasn't quite ready to breed because I didn't know what I didn't know as the first you know yeah. first round. But uh, but I think it's cool because in some of the things that you do, again going back to the practice what you preach, it's it's awesome to know that again you always share with me as friend. You're like you got to see what we're doing. You know how you're you're wrapping it, and then that makes it so much easier to trim and manicure, and then you're letting it come. Like all these different things that you do. You're literally going out in your garden and, and applying the science to to the latest book, right? More observation. So, yeah. More yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So awesome. Well, where do you think? You know, we're currently here at a, a show in Northern California. We're outside of Hall of Flowers, and you've got Hall of Flowers, and in your backyard you have NCIA and New West Summit and all these different and MJ Biz is the next state over. Um, what do you think about how the industry has evolved as far as all this different types of not just again starting at the plant but the different ways that it's processed and that it's packaged and that it's distributed is it overwhelming 
compared to where we were during, let's just say, the early years of Prop 215 or, you know, late 90s, early 2000s? And speaking specifically of the California market, of our market. Well, I, I think the industry uh, is exploring the market and seeing what the market wants. Not everything is going to survive. Yeah. Just, uh, just as a number of the farmers uh, won't survive. And, and people will say, oh, all the small farmers will be put out of business. I think that the bigger farmers uh, that have the too large an infrastructure are actually going to be the ones that uh, that may fall. That's happened before. Canopy had to be restructured. All these yeah. different ones, and I don't think they they really have it. And people say that it's that it's because it's corporate. I don't think that it's because it's corporate. I think it's because on some level, because it was dealing with cannabis, they didn't think that, even the suits didn't think that they had to take it seriously. They yeah. thought it was just easy money. And they forgot that the reason why cannabis was easy money when it was illegal was because it was, because it was illegal, which limited supply and, and not demand, and also, uh, which put bumps in that supply supply demand, right? yeah. and that's why. Uh, and also, there were a limited number of people who were willing to go into the business because of the risk. So, uh, so th these people thought that the, the same laws would apply, economic laws would apply once it became legal. Mm -hmm. And no, it's the. Uh, the economic laws that apply to most of this is the farmer's lament. And what I mean by that, you know, you've heard songs about what it is to be a farmer. Yep. You've yep. heard a lot of laments, you know, the well went dry and the heifer yeah. went dry and the wife dried up. <laughs> everything everything <laughs> the crop dried away up. away and it's right, not my right, day. And right, <laughs> right. So, and you never hear stories about how I had this wonderful crop and I sold it for a yep. bountiful and now I'm just sitting on top of the world. Yeah. Oh, the other one. The other one is, you know, I had a big crop, and then I couldn't sell it because everybody else had a big crop. <laughs> Want some tomato sauce? <laughs> that's a good. But you know what? It's so interesting because that's relevant. And they thought they thought yeah. Well, yeah. they thought that 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 those laws of supply and demand and agriculture would not apply to them while they were because it was cannabis. Cannabis. <laughs> so, so deep in their minds, they thought that they could do anything and they could sell anything. And you know, it's one thing if you were in the midst of 2003 or something, and do you have some pot? It's not very good. I'll take it. Right? Yeah. Right. We were not we were beggars, right. but not choosers back right. in the nineties. Even right. you know, either yeah. you got Northern Lights or you got swag in a bag yeah. from over the border or whatever, right? Yep. Yeah. So, um, and they thought they those are the presumptions that they were going on, and they yeah. didn't realize. And I could talk about California's industry. You might find this interesting. Let's shut the engine off. Oh yeah, you want to turn the generator off? Go ahead. It's. Uh Okay. Oh, yeah, that killed the light. It's okay. Let's do... Oh, 
Oh, oh, hey. oh hey, so that's Christ. even better. Hey, okay. So, so, sorry, guys. So, uh, California made marijuana a possession of under an ounce or uh, cultivation for personal use, a ticketable offense in 1974. Now, if you figure that kids in California first come in contact, and I'm going to give a young age, at 15, that's pretty that's good age. Fairly accurate yeah. okay. <laughs> in the state. So if you take that from 74, it means that anybody born before after 1959 yeah. never felt full marijuana prohibition. Because by the time they got to 15, it was 1974, it was a tic ticketable offense. Not so much if you were a kid as if you were an adult, but still, much, much easier. Nobody was going to go to jail. For, no white person was going to go to jail for simple possession, right? Yeah. And even, and I did cases under the Williamson Act in which I was an expert witness to determine whether a cultivation was for personal use or for sale. And you know what? I never found one for sale that was for sale. Never one. Never. Interesting how that happens. Yeah. And I can keep a straight face and say that to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. You're not going to catch me in that. No, 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 no. I know you too well. <laughs> okay. That was good, though. That was good. So. <clears throat> with so, a straight face. Yeah. So, uh, so then the next thing that happened was 96. And in 96, they said medical marijuana, which yeah. means that anybody with any kind of medical condition, I had a, I had a, one doctor gave me a uh, recommendation based on mocking and disruptive behavior. Oh, wow. That's a good one. You, you, people <laughs> said, you know, that's accurate, you know, pretty good. I thought it wasn't even anything more than, well, I know early on meant HIV, AIDS, and all that, but I thought that those kind of scripts didn't come in until the later 90s. I didn't know that they were. What? Mocking and disruption? Mocking and disruption, you know. And disruption. Yeah. Well, when I mentioned it to friends, they said, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, okay. So, anyway, they said, yeah, he got it. But he didn't say that whether using it would exacerbate would exacerbate that or whether it would modify it in some way. Yeah. You take what you get. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so that was in 96. And um, people got it for sleep disorders, eating disorders, not for sleeping too much, for not sleeping enough, for eating too <laughs> much, for not that. eating enough. Yeah. Yeah, they got whatever. So it seemed to be like a miracle drug, and I'll get to that in a minute. So anyway, so that means that anybody who was born before 81, who would now be basically 40 years old, never had to fear if they had a medical. And if they had a medical, you pull the medical out, I'm legal, Mr. Police Officer, yeah. and I'm white, so goodbye. Yeah. Okay. 
So California has a, had a long time to adapt to full legalization. And that's why it happened so smoothly because of that long period. Now take something like Oklahoma, where they went to the most res from the most restrictive laws to open season, $2,500 yeah. in a lease. Limitless license, which now they're pulling back. They're realizing that was a wrong, but yeah, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so that's, that's part of the thing about cannabis. It didn't happen suddenly. It happened over a long period of time. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was good that it, it would have been better if it just became legal, of course, but it was good at least that it happened that way and it allowed for a smooth transition. Yeah, you're right. It was really a progressive. I speak of it referencing to your point, you mentioned it, because the movement began in our backyard where we grew up, you know, here, well, where yeah. I grew up, but where you've been for years in San Francisco. Yeah. And that's what I tell people. I ask them just pop quiz when do you think that cannabis first legal in the state, if not, to, to your point, you know, dropped, uh, you know, from felony or misdemeanor, you know, to a ticket. But, and I explained to him that it was actually back in 1990 with Prop P with Dennis Perone and Brian. No, it was 74. Right? Well, when they. That, that was a tic that was ticketable. Yeah, ticketable. But then but, Prop but, P but with the, the medical. The medical made it legal. Yeah. With, with, yeah. with, with a license. I had, as I said, I had one for mocking disruptive behavior. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty good. So how do you see, I mean, and again, you, I know, um, you do consulting, so we talked about a few years ago catching up in Barcelona. I know you're consulting out there in Spain, consulting down in Jamaica. Um, is it ever a bit of a shock coming into some of these markets where cannabis has played a different role historically, rather it be uh, respected medicinally or spiritually, like India, as an example, um, or stigmatized because of the Western movement, which we know goes back to Anslinger, not just Nixon and, and Reagan era. You know, I haven't had to deal with those people. Yeah. You know, once they start, once I, once they don't start dealing with me until they've already found the answer. Gotcha. Then they have a new set of questions, and those are the ones I can answer. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, keep it moist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and never buy dry. Very true. So very cool. So with this kind of, I do want to get back to the book. The artwork alone is, yeah, speaking of keeping it moist, for these little guys right here, these trichomes that have the phenomenal terpenes inside. This is where the magic happens, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that you put an emphasis on this in the cover, not just the beautiful fan leaf, which is synonymous with the plant in general, but um, what, what motivates you to put an emphasis on the thing that makes the biggest impact, right? Because that's, that's a huge component to well, this plant. Not the only, but. Well, have you ever heard um, the government talk about nicotine and tobacco? Mm -hmm. And they say that tobacco is just a carrier for the nicotine. So that it's the nicotine and I guess the associated tars and things. Mm -hmm. Well, you think about it, that leaf is just a carrier for those glands. Mm -hmm. And you want the stuff that's on, in, on the top of those glands, right? So, so that's really the important part. And maybe a few years ago, people wouldn't recognize that. But uh, 
You know the uh, January 6th uh, goat sh shaman? Mm -mm. You know the guy, they had that invasion of the White House January oh, 6th, yeah, yeah. and there was a shaman <coughs> with a goat. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Did you notice that he had a terpene on his stomach, a big terpene? No. <laughs> Not terpene, a big, uh, a big gland. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah take, a, take a look, you'll see it. Oh my gosh, yeah. interesting. So, I figure if he knew about it, you know. But it's very relevant. I mean, that's one thing that, you well, know. Well, that's what we're interested in. Yeah, right. right. What, right? That's exactly so. it. Even this whole race to the top, which I know you and I both uh, feel similar, you know, how there's way too much emphasis being put on one specific cannabinoid. Uh, it goes without saying three little letters, but all this all this energy and emphasis being put on racing to the top with THC, and I explain mm -hmm. to people that, that the cannabinoids in general are the engine, but the, the steering wheel, the terpenes, yeah. Well, you know, the flavonoids, that's a true trifecta, right? Well, here's, here's what I'm interested in. So, if you grow a big plant, the plant spends a lot of time, time growing infrastructure, mm -hmm. and then it grows a bud, right? Yep. What if you have very small plants and they don't spend time growing an infrastructure? So that most of the time is spent growing uh, the buds, right? That would be a much more efficient way of growing. And so I, I'm trying to move people over to that method. Sort of a sea of green. Yeah. It's an interesting ideology because you're right. I mean, I look at some of the infrastructures, you call it, of some of these larger. We just came down where uh, we, Green Bros, doing a NorCal uh, coming home tour, us being from here and the company really getting its break in Northern California. And we were just up on the hill. We just went as far as, as uh, Southern Humboldt, Soham area, uh, Garberville and, and Alder Point and such. But they grow monsters up there. But that's the first thing I thought about is how much time and effort, not just for the plant, but for the people to manicure and to bring, and not everyone lollipops, I get that, but for people to manicure and focus all this time and energy. And like you said, that's just me as a human, Never mind the plant and what it has to do to grow 10 it, feet, 12 it, feet tall. Exactly, and yeah. um, a lot of that is by regulation. For instance, if, if you're only allowed to grow a certain number of plants, yep. you're going to want the biggest plants possible. Yeah. But if that isn't a consideration, right? For instance, if uh, canopy space or some, or was a consideration, or um, just uh, maybe so, footprint just, or something. Just, yeah. yeah. But basically, if basically. Um, if p people can grow as many plants as they want, um, you know, according to square footage, well, or according to yeah. what you know, uh, what they think they'll get the, the most yield, the plants would be much closer together than they are. Yeah, yeah. And they'd probably be different varieties. They'd be varieties that are honed and genetically selected to pr produce a single bud, so that way. It would be very easy to uh, to clean that plant. Yeah, yeah. That's if you're doing um, that, that's if you're doing flowers. If you're doing concentrate, you would just reap it. Yeah. The plant yeah. would only be 18 inches high or so, and a reaper would come in, and then it would chop it up. My, think of this. You have this reaper comes in. It goes to like a thresher that ch chops it up. It goes onto a conveyor belt, and the conveyor belt takes it to the 
processing center. So once it's cut, it might actually be cut by a tractor that is GPS driven. Yeah, driven. just like the wheat fields and, and the soybean fields. And it gets delivered now. right onto the conveyor belt, and you know, and nobody's taking a smoke break. Um, you know what? Conveyor belt number seven takes smoke breaks all the time. <laughs> we joke so around about that, but we're like, our, have to our machines don't steal. <laughs> machines don't take smoke breaks. <laughs> okay. They don't come in hungover. So, so anyway, and then it goes, mm. and it go, I could, some of the things, the way that I would then prepare that for whatever process you were doing would be different processes. Yeah. But that is, you know, yeah. bringing it right in, you know, right in, ready to be processed yeah. in some way. Um, this is for like more for CBD and for THC that you're making into some sort of compound or something. Yeah, this is not for flowers. Yeah. This, flowers yeah. is a different. That's no, a different flowers thing. still art. Flowers in my opinion, should be artisan and still, you know, well, have that handcraft. Well, well, there was this. Uh, uh, there was this machine years ago called the Big Red Stripper. Did you ever see that machine? Heard about like it. a combine type thing? No, it was this box and it had one slit in it and uh, you know it had the rotor um, uh, blade going underneath that slit and you would take and it also had a little bit of a vacuum so you would take the leaf it would draw the leaf in and you'd cut the leaf but you were doing it. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? You yeah. were, it, you weren't feeding the machine. You you were using the machine as an aid so that you didn't need scissors. Yeah. You could just to deli deliver the leaf. I thought that was a, it's called, it's not in existence anymore. It's called the Big Red Stripper. You probably could see it on the internet. Well, it's interesting because we have individuals that they talk about throughput, and I think you touched on something really relevant. You know, if you're growing outdoor, you're growing outdoor. If you're large scale and you have 100 licenses, or if you're small cottage style, as we call it here in California, and you have, you know, sub acre that you're on still, if outdoors at $500 a pound, like it's coming in this season, everyone's at $500 a pound. And I think you touched on something that nobody's too big to fail in this industry, right? right? Like you said, the harder, the bigger they are, the harder they fall is still very yeah, much Yeah, well, those mortgages. Here, yeah. You know, they might fire the people, that, but, but they have the mortgages. Yeah. I mean, they were counting on it. Listen, the stuff would have to sell for 500 a pound for us to not break even. <laughs> 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 well, I guess that kind of goes to, and you know, I've always been very open about my huge fandom on the outdoor versus uh, indoor. But that's one thing I think is interesting because I know for some, uh, more so in Southern California that have indoor operations that their net net cost of, of producing a pound is 700, 800, 900. So kind of someone asked the question to me, they said, well, what happens when indoor drops like outdoor does? Like you said, there's mortgages, there's overhead, there's there's just that. But but think about those big operations that have the, the reason they have this gigantic mortgage is because they put all this automatic infrastructure in, which is costing them $2,000 a light, $3,000, you know, before yeah. they get through with the whole greenhouse, maybe $5,000 a light, and then they're getting a total of $2,000 a light for, um, 
you know, for the year. Yeah, yeah. For the year. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know if they were just running, you know, whether they 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 might just meet their um, running costs, but not their mortgage or. Yeah, not their true EBITDA. Yeah. Well, what do you think? I think maybe a, a last question that I always like to ask, and I know it's very obtuse, but... This isn't your usual uh, interview, huh? I mean, <laughs> just, I mean... It's a unique one, because I don't yeah, normally... I interview like, friends. I mean, yeah, but, you know... They're not always legends. <laughs> well, well, you know, you know, looking out, you're not... A, whatever others might think of you, looking out, you get a different view. Yeah. They say that uh, the best building in Warsaw... To uh, live in was this uh, really ugly uh, building that the Soviet Union built, which was just this block building. And why was it the best building? Because you're looking out and you can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Very well put. Very well so, put. You, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I visited family in Poland, and uh, just outside of Bytom, where my mom's from, and I saw the buildings you're talking about. They were pretty, pretty ugly. Rudimentary. Still, still totally inhabitable though. Yeah. Still working, but. So my question is, I think we're close, closer than ever before, especially with the house just approving uh, banking bill. We'll see how far that gets, because you know, the Safe Banking Act is yeah. pending for years, unfortunately, uh, as has the Moore and States Act. But uh, where do you feel if you could give a uh, timeline of when you think? Albeit maybe, you know, descheduling or decriminalization, obviously before federal legalization. But do you see that moving forward in the next few years, or do you still think that's a ways out? Well, you know, um, uh, the Democratic Party has been able to stab itself in the foot a number of times. <laughs> that's for, a good way of putting it. <laughs> for for instance. When they ask Gore, what do you think about marijuana for medical use? Now, you know he, that he and Tipper went to Grateful Dead concerts. You're yeah. aware of that, right? Yeah. So you think that they might have had some experience of people using marijuana? You know, maybe. Just a maybe. Little, maybe. You know, Once a, a deadhead, always a deadhead. A you know? little bit. <laughs> you know? and, um, and I have reason to believe that he smoked after he was vice president. Oh, wow. So then. When he said it had no medical value, he assured his defeat. If he had said, I think we should test to see if it has medical value, because if it can help children who have such and such, we yeah, should... Grandma seizures, epileptic uh, seizures, PTSD. I don't have to go through it, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, that was one. And then, um, uh, like... I mean, I could go further back and analyze uh, analyze uh, Clinton and, uh, you know, but I'm not going to go there, but I'm going to go forward. So then there was Hillary, and Hillary was in a tough fight, right? Yeah. So she had, she had to shore up the Democrats, and she had to pull in some independents. She's not going to get any Republicans. So... Now, if she says she thinks marijuana for medical use should be allowed, because by that time we were at that point, right? 
But if she had said that in 2016, we're talking about, you know, not so long ago, right? No. If she had said that in, in 2016, she would have won. I think we should have medical marijuana for serious illnesses. That's all she had to say. Who's against medical marijuana for serious illnesses? Anybody who was going to vote for her to begin with? Is there anybody who she had, who she was going to lose by saying medical marijuana? What tiny, tiny percentage of people would that be? Oh, yeah. Tiny. But 75% of the populace may put cannabis on some but, stuff. But all those people who say, I don't like Hillary, I'm not going to vote for that woman, if she had said, I think we should have, you know, look, in, look into medical marijuana yeah. for serious illnesses. She would have won. She would have won. All yeah. those few votes that Trump got, boom, it would have wiped it out. And you know what? So right now, they say for 2022, Biden has a hard time. Well, I have a secret for the Democrats. Legalize it. You, you'll win in 2022. Even if you don't legalize it, if you say we're legalizing it and the Republicans say no, that's even better. Yeah. Right? It's even yeah. better. Because you know what their stance is by then. Yeah. That's it. Boom. It's over. Oh, Crazy. So tell me, when's it coming out? It's finally coming out. Is it next month? It's coming out in two weeks. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So this will be available, and I'm stoked to hear something that's kind of unique you were telling me, which I love this. This is really kind of root-style marketing, in my opinion. Obviously, they're available on Amazon. I know that. Right. But if they actually order direct through your website, not only are they able to get the book at the same price, but they're actually able to get a true signed photograph as well. That's right. Book. That's cool. Yes. That's cool. So in other words, you get a bonus by not That's right. buying it from the man. Love it. Right. <laughs> and that man is is the one that was it twenty thousand people that signed the to get him to not come back from outer space. His <laughs> <laughs> trip. So cool, Ed. Joking aside, I really enjoy it. It's always fun catching up. Um, it's been too long, obviously, this pandemic. But uh, you know, congratulations oh. on getting the new book out, and uh, stoked to see you in person. And definitely give Jane all of my love. Uh, love her as well. So definitely appreciate you having on the show again. Great. Perfect.